Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Thank you so much. It's really a privilege and a joy for me to be here with you, my sisters. It isn't very often that we have the opportunity to gather together, multi-generational, from these smaller ones on the front seat to sisters like me with the white hair, all together in one place to worship and praise him. And I really like that we began with this song, How Great Is Our God. And as I look around and see every one of you, you each have a story. And that story is the greatness of God in your life. I, too, have a story. I was born and raised in the US. I am a Messianic Jew. I wasn't always a Messianic Jew. I came to faith, actually, in my 20s. But prior to that time, I knew that I was Jewish. But it wasn't a major thing in my life at that point. My mother's Jewish. Her family came from Russia. My grandfather was involved in the Russian Revolution, exiled to Siberia three times, was a spy for the Russian Revolution, and he chose to give his life for freedom and liberation of the Russian people from the Tsar. My mother was born three days after they got off the boat uh, from Russia, actually from China, because they went, I have one aunt who was born in Siberia, one in China, and one in Japan, and my mother was born in San Francisco three days after they got off the boat. So my background is kind of multicultural. My father was Swedish-Norwegian, not Jewish, and he died when I was three. So I grew up without a father, and I always thought how wonderful when I came to faith. I don't have any bad images of the father. But you know what? I had no image of a father. So God has had to fill my life up tremendously. So I came to faith in my 20s. And prior to that, I lived very hard and very fast for a few years. I came to faith in the end of the 1960s. So everything that you've ever read or seen or heard about the 60s, I was there. <laughs> and I did it, and I was a part of it. But I always had a passion in my heart to know truth. And I sensed somehow that truth wouldn't, did not exist in the world, that it was a truth that came from God, whoever he was. And I had no idea who he was at that stage of my life. I looked for him in all the wrong places. I studied Hinduism, Buddhism, all the other religions of the world, and I wanted to synthesize religious life and thought. I even taught myself Sanskrit at one point. I was a serious student seeking for truth. And you know, there's a promise in the scripture. It says, if you seek, you will find. If you knock, it will be opened unto you. And I want to recommend this as a direction of prayer. Pray that people will be seekers. I was a seeker, but it was God who found me. And he found me at that point in my life, living as a hermit in the woods of Washington State. I was at that point married. Uh, that's a whole other story. My husband and I knew each other for 19 days before we got married, which was unusual in our community but we wanted to be strongly committed to one another. And I celebrate 50 years of marriage to the same man, okay, <laughs> next year. <laughs> he also was a seeker. 
He was not a believer. But to support us, he worked in a very small factory for uh, wood products, roofing materials made out of wood. And we were so different in that context. It was a wilderness area. It was uh, the wettest place in all of North America. We had 120 inches of rain a year. Uh, and we were part of a small community of scattered hippies at that point. And this man hired people like my husband, where hardly anybody else did. But he showed such love and such compassion and such kindness to my husband that one day my husband walked into his office and he said, there's something about you that I've never seen before. My husband came from the sophisticated world of New York theater, okay? And he had seen a lot. But this simple man had a life that radiated love, acceptance, kindness, embrace. And that began the story. My husband took me along to meet with this man, and that's another long story, but he was a lay preacher, a lay leader, and a, a, actually an elder in a small church. He took us to his church, and it was filled with all the people who were so different from us. The right-wing, narrow-minded, hypocritical establishment, right, that <laughs> I was seeking to get away from and forge my own way. But they loved us. They opened their hearts. They opened their homes. They invited us. They cared for us. And part of it was there had been a prayer meeting of women for over a year coming together every week, just a few, and they were praying for revival. And when we walked in the door and we went right down to the front row, I've always been a front row sitter, they knew we were the answer. We were the revival. I could sit on my hair at that time. I mean, we were really wild-looking people. <laughs> but you know, two things. We were embraced as the other, the one who was so different from them. And it was because of prayer. Prayer had already changed their hearts so that when we walked in, it wasn't, oh my goodness, those people, they're so strange. They're invading our community. Why are they here? No. They received us with the love of Christ. It made a tremendous impact on my life. And from that point on, my life has been given to embrace the other, to reach out and to embrace the other. Today I find myself living in Israel, living on many lines, across many lines, on the edges of two communities. I'm a Messianic Jew. I'm a Messianic Jewish leader. Uh, I'm very deeply involved with Palestinian Christians to the extent that I taught for five years in a seminary in Nazareth, Nazareth Evangelical Seminary. All my students were Arab men. Strange, yeah? But God has placed me in these positions because I love my brothers and my sisters. That's where it began. Loving your brothers and sisters this conference is about being witnesses. This conference is about becoming disciples, those who follow Jesus. He also embraced the other, and that other was you and me. He laid his life down for humanity. He put it to the side. Everything that he was, he laid to the side. He emptied himself 
that he might become like us, that he might walk in this broken world, that he might give his life on the cross to the last drop of his blood, that we might be reconciled to our Father. I will not do anything that doesn't include all of God's people in the land of Israel. If it's not open to Arabs and Jews, I won't touch it. And I serve on a lot of committees and I do a lot of different things. But that is one of the major passions of my life. It's not something that I engage in as an activity. It's not something like, okay, I'm going to evangelize now. I'm going to do a reconciliation activity. I'm going to go do this or do that. No. Reconciliation is the core of the gospel. It is the heart of the gospel because it's God's heart reaching out to the disenfranchised, to the weak, to the vulnerable in our society. And whether or not we realize it today, we are weak and vulnerable. We need him. And he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, that we might walk in his ways. I work today with several reconciliation initiatives, and I'm here with the Ministry of Musalacha, which means reconciliation in Arabic. It was founded in 1990. We have brochures and things that you can pick up later that speak more about our work. But we want to bring Messianic Jews and Palestinians together. And you think, well, what's the problem? You all believe in Jesus. There should be no problem. Well, there are many, many problems. And it's not a popular thing to do, all right? It's actually quite difficult to get out of your comfort zone, cross the lines, come together with people who are called your enemies. Because our media, and I'm sorry to say, oftentimes even our churches, puts those who are different from us as enemies. Every human being was created in the image of God, and in his eyes, each and every one, whether they are Presbyterian, Baptist, Catholic, Messianic Jews, Palestinian Christians, Muslims, Hindus, are of infinite value to God, every single one. So I see the ministry of Musalaha that, first of all, brings together brothers and sisters, but they're estranged. They don't know one another. They don't know about one another. They've never visited one another. Uh, we stay where it's comfortable. We stay where people are like us. But Jesus has given us the strategy, if you want to call it that, the strategy to reach out to the world, and that is that the world will know. How will the world know that he came from the Father? How will the world know that we are his followers? It's very simple, that you love one another. And love is not just some abstract thing out there. It's not an idea or, you know, something we should ascribe to. But love is active. Love is reaching out of yourself. God so loved the world that he gave, freely gave, his only son to come into this world and to die for us. We live according to the cross. The cross in history changed everything. And today we have no excuse for staying in our narrow, comfortable places because of the cross, because he laid his life down for all 
of the world for all of humanity. So in Israel today, in Israel-Palestine, we bring together groups of Jews who believe in Jesus, Palestinians who believe in Jesus, whether they're Israeli Palestinians who live in Israel proper and have Israel citizenship, or Palestinians who live in the Palestinian ter territories in the West Bank. And we come together, and we get to know one another. We listen to one another. And sisters, listening sounds like it's something, well, everybody listens, right? The reality is that very few people truly listen one to the other. So when we meet together, whether it's groups of women or young people or in camps with children or leaders' meetings or family meetings where we go outside of the country together, we teach people how to listen, to listen to the other story. What is their life like? Where do they come from? To lay aside your own preconceived notions, to not always be thinking, what am I going to say next? Oh, I have an answer for what they're talking about. You know they're really not right in what they're saying. We still that voice, our own voice in our minds, and we relate to the person with our full presence, our full attention, and we give them the honor and the respect of hearing them. And this is how we begin to build relationships, not just in our context, this is applicable in every sphere of life, whether it's friends, siblings, husband and wife, fathers and mothers and their children. Listen. Hear what they're saying. Hear under the surface. Hear their heart. Because people want to be accepted. I have to listen to my sister. I, I have to. I do. It's my, actually, it's my privilege to listen to the pain of my sister who lives in Bethlehem who cannot get into Jerusalem without military permission, which is more often than not denied. She can't travel from one place to another. She has, to, she has a family in Ramallah, which is, say, 35 minutes away from Bethlehem. It takes her four hours to get there, all around to go through the areas that are permissible for her. I listen to her. I feel her pain. And we could, together can come to Jesus because Jesus didn't just take our sin upon himself when he was on the cross. He was the sin bearer. He carried it. He gave it to them. He took it all. But he also bore our sorrows and our griefs. He carries our pain. So in him, we can have reconciliation. We can live it out. We can walk it out in our daily lives. Jesus has shown us the way. He is the way. He according to Philippians, laid it aside, emptied himself to come and be amongst us because he loves us. That's so hard to grasp. I'm not lovable. I'm really not. I sometimes have said to myself, if people really knew what I was like, they wouldn't like me at all. <laughs> now I realize that it was a self-image problem. I had to get through all of that, and I did, thank God. But it's not about me. It's about him. What are people going to see are they going to see kindness and embrace when they come to me? What did my husband see when he went into the office of this simple man who'd never been more than 100 miles from his own home? My sophisticated husband, okay? He saw love. He saw Jesus. And that's what we want people to see. That's what reconciliation is about. We have been brought near to God. He holds us in his heart. He loves us, 
and we've been given a ministry of reconciliation, and we've been given a message of reconciliation according to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And this is what Musalacha is all about. One of the things we have to do, we talk about getting out of the comfort zone. All of our programs, you can put it that way, begin with taking people out of their comfort zones. As women, we will travel to Cyprus, we'll travel to Turkey, we'll travel somewhere where it's not Israel, it's not Palestine. There are reasons for that in addition to the spiritual reason of let's go to a neutral place where you're not comfortable and I'm not comfortable and we have to survive together. For us as Israeli Messianic Jews, it is technically illegal for me to go into the West Bank to Bethlehem. I have to have military permission. For the Palestinian, they also have to have military permission and it's rarely given. So we have some areas where we can meet together. There may be two areas where we can meet together in Israel and Palestine. So we go out of the country. Or we take people on desert trips where the desert is a great leveler. You have to survive. I've been on camel trips in the desert where there's one camel for every two people and the Palestinian and Israelis start out and they don't really know each other. And I'll tell you, after an hour, it's the camel that's the enemy, okay? <laughs> camels are not cooperative. And camels are not even comfortable, I have to tell you. <laughs> we have, we share water bottles. We sleep under the stars. We sit around a fire and we open the scriptures and we begin to hear one another's stories. And we hear the story that is God's story, which is that, he has one body. He loves us all. We're of infinite value. We are equal before him. And so we take people out of their comfort zone and we begin to build relationships of trust that the world may see. Look how they love one another. Look, look at that love. And this is what our life is like in Israel. I will not tell you that it's easy. I will not tell you that it's well understood. I will not tell you that we have great crowds of people wanting to come and be a part of this because it's painful. It is painful. And I think sometimes we forget that in the same passage, it speaks of the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And sometimes I think we have the power of his resurrection that we might endure the sufferings that we have to live through. There's much more to it than that. But we walk the way of the cross we walk in the kingdom of God, brought here and now. That was Jesus' message. He came to proclaim the kingdom of God already here. He is the king of that kingdom, and he deserves all of our allegiance if we know him, if we love him, if we want to be like him, if we want to follow him. It means to go where we may not have chosen. And I, my testimony is that everything that I do and have done I wasn't trained for. I had no idea that I would be in the places where I find myself today. And believe me, they're in some pretty interesting places, including the Vatican, for you beloved Presbyterian sisters. Because I engage in theological dialogue as well with Roman Catholics, with Greek Orthodox, with men and women of God who happen to be in a different tradition. But if God calls you, he will equip you. And if you listen to your heart and you follow him, he will do amazing things with your life. Begins in prayer. We can all pray.
And I'm sure that that's what you do here in this country. You pray for those of us who are out there on the field, if you will. As I've said, I'm an Israeli citizen. I have rights and privileges that accrue to me that my Palestinian brothers and sisters simply do not have. Even the Israeli-Palestinians, there's tremendous uh, prejudice. There's a glass ceiling that is a very low glass ceiling for Palestinians in Israel. Uh, we live different lives, but we are one in Jesus. And we can embrace one another. We can learn from one another. And I tell you, I have learned so much from my Palestinian brothers and sisters. I went to Gaza once with, uh, actually, my husband taught in the Bethlehem Bible College during the period of the two intifadas. He taught music, he's a musician, and he revived the college choir, and we went to Gaza. I was so moved by the purity and the simplicity of the faith of my brothers and sisters who live under pressure that it was very humbling to be there and enriching. It says in Revelation that there will come a time when every nation, every kindred, every tongue will worship before him. Our identities do not dissolve. I remain a Messianic Jew. I love my people, but I love the Palestinian people. If you say you're pro this, so often it means you're anti that. So I watch my language and my vocabulary. And if I want to be pro anything, it's pro Jesus. I want him to be seen in me, recognizing that I remain a Jew, I remain a part of my people, I love my people, I pray for them, but I am bound together with my Palestinian and my Irish and my Ugandan and my Cambodian and my t brothers and sisters from all over the world. We are one in him, and the world needs to see that Jesus came from the Father. The world needs to see the love we have one for another. This is the call of reconciliation. It's not an add-on. It's a way of life. And all of us are called to embrace it and to live it out every day. Thank you. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.